But so my name is Dave Varga. I'm one of the volunteers here at the Chesterfield campus, and I also have the yeah, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> I thought we talked about that. We didn't talk about that between services. Take that down. Um, yeah, thank you so much. That um, yeah. So anyway, it is my birthday. Well, it was. It's my birthday-ish, so they like to tease me. But yeah, I'm also on the teaching team, and so what that means is about four or five times a year, I get to just get up here and be able to bring the Word of God to you guys, and so this is one of those weeks, and so um, I'm just excited to be able to do that. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, that's going to be the bulk of our text, but we're going to jump around a little bit before that as we kind of just set the, uh, the tone for um, what Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians. And so this is what we've heard over the last couple weeks, right, um, is that Paul himself is basically talking about this, is this is who your identity is in Christ, and what we want to do in the next couple verses and chapters is to what is that identity lived out. And so growing up, um, I grew up around here. I had two older brothers. I had an older sister, so I'm the youngest of four. Our family was um, competitive to say the least. We compete in every facet of everything. Even to this day is kind of a fault. We try not to, but it just comes out. More so now in a loving kind of Christian way-ish, um, but we still compete nonstop. And so what that did for us growing up was my oldest brother at one point decided it would be a good idea to take up mountain biking. Why that's, he thought that was a good idea, I have no idea because what happens is, is that we compete and so we push each other. Right, so the next brother bought one, and then I bought one, and we did mountain biking wrong. If you've ever been mountain biking before, like not just on the road, but off-road mountain biking, there's etiquette. There's staying a certain distance away from each other. There's bubbles of protection, and what we don't have is that, right? We don't have that safety zone as brothers, so we ended up pushing each other, and there was one specific instant. We're about six miles into a 22-mile ride, and we are pushing exceptionally hard. Now, they blame me, the youngest, because I was last, that I was pushing too hard. I don't know how it's my fault being the last one, but the first brother, the oldest, crashes. Cartoon-type crash where all you see is poof, dust, right? And, just, and he gets up. He was pretty mad, actually. Um, we're going to talk about anger uh, later in the chapter here, but he was, he was pretty upset. And he, what happened is he broke the pedal off his bike, sheared it right off, no fixing it. Six miles in, we got 20-some, you know, we got 18 miles to go, and it's not happening. So what ends up happening is, is we come up with a plan that he's going to hit the main path, the one that you could drive on with the car, and we're going to go and get the car, come pick him up. And I just remember this, that George and I are coming around the bend, and we see our oldest brother on the bike. One leg hanging off the bike, the other leg pedaling with one foot. You guys ever see that? Yeah, why he's not walking, I don't know. It's probably easier, but he's trying. He's, he's pedaling with one foot, and he's going nowhere. And so we drive real slow because we like to watch him suffer in this. And so, you know, we're watching him just try to make, get momentum going uphill, and it's just not working. It's, the harder he tries, the less he makes any kind of progress. And what I want you to do is kind of keep that in your mind's eye this morning. In the forefront of your brains is this idea of pedals on a bike, Right? You need both pedals to make up any kind of ground. You need both pedals to get momentum going. And so what we're going to see today in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul hammers this home, that you have a new identity in Christ. He's hammering it to the Gentiles that this is who you once were. You were apart from God, now you have access to God. You didn't have opportunity to have a relationship with God, and now you do have a relationship with God. 
At one point, you were not a chosen people, right? But now you are a chosen people. Because they had this idea that, like, again, the Jews were the chosen people. They had everything. They had access to God. They had to be able to have a relationship. They had, the Jews had it all. They were the chosen people. The Gentiles, us, we were not. And because of what Christ did, right, well, because he came down to the earth, he suffered, he died on the cross, he was raised three days later, right, we have an opportunity through him to have a relationship with God. And that's what Paul hammers the first three chapters, our identity in Christ, what, who Christ is, what Christ did for us, right? And then our identity in that, who Christ is, what he did, our identity, right? And we have this identity in who we are in Christ now. The second thing we're going to see in the next three chapters, in, in one being chapter four here, is what that identity looks like lived out. We have our identity in Christ. We have that identity lived out every day. We have our identity in Christ. Keep that in your mind's eye as we go through because Paul's going to use that over and over and over again, that whole concept of it takes both through this chapter. So what does that identity look like in Christ? Like who are we in Christ? Well, Romans says this, in the book of Romans says this, Paul says it in there. He says um, in chapter 10, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So here it is, right? When you believe, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, in that moment, you are justified. And so the cool part is, yeah, forgiven from our sins, absolutely. But at, the, at that moment, we are made righteous in the eyes of God. We're not just saved from our sins, man. We are made right in the eyes of God in that moment. The moment you accept Jesus, justified. And at the same time, in that moment, we are adopted into his family. Romans 8.14 uh, yeah, 8, through 17 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but that you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right? This idea, right, that when we give our life to the Lord and we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are justified, we are adopted, we are in his family. He is our dad. Right? And not this idea like, yeah, he's my dad. But man, he's my dad. Like, my dad is better than your dad type idea. Like, we have the best dad now, right? You know, remember you're little, like, my dad could beat your dad up? Yeah, well, we have a dad that could beat everybody up now. We're in his family. He is our daddy. And it's so awesome to have that relationship with him. We are justified. We are adopted in that moment. It is a positional thing. We are here. So we have that identity. And now it's this, right, this identity lived out. And you can't have one without the other. It, it doesn't work. You have no momentum. You go nowhere when it's just this identity idea. I'm just going to call myself a Christian. Like 87% of the U.S. calls ourselves Christians, but a vast majority of them don't believe that the word of God is actually 100% accurate. A vast majority of that 87% doesn't know that Jesus died on the cross and was raised three days later for our sins. They don't believe that, but we take that title. Man, it's just that one pedal. Going nowhere, man. It's stuck right here. Going nowhere. That, that identity and that identity lived out. And the idea that we sometimes, there are people that don't know really who Jesus is and they just play this identity. Play Christian. Never made sense to me. Why are we just going to play it? It's easier not to. 
right? Like being a Christian sometimes isn't necessarily cool. Like outside of here, it's not. They don't like us, right? And so we're going to play this identity. We're going to show up to church. We're going to play Christian. We know the right words to say. We got some verses memorized. Some of us know what the holy kiss is. That's weird, right? But like we have this thing, right? We're just playing Christian. And what Paul's saying is enough. Stop it. Be a Christian. Live a Christian, right? Have our identity. Know what our identity is. Accept that identity and now live it every day. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul's going to break it down for us very practically on what that looks like, what that feels like. And he says this in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understandings, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. It's not the way you learned it, exclamation point. With what is Paul saying? Like, here's the thing. So oftentimes, we ignore the idea of learning who Christ really is. It's kind of hard to learn who Christ really is because what we've learned is to make Christ who we want. We make him into this genie in a bottle, right? Kind of we rub it, we get what we want from him. Man, my finances are terrible. Maybe I rub this, right? He's going he's to give me better money. He's going to give me more money. Like my marriage is falling apart. I'm going to rub this together. Now here's the thing. We need to pray for those things. We need to be wise in those things. But knowing who Christ is and what he did for us, dying on the cross for us that we might have access to God, a relationship with God, that we might have a dad in heaven. That is who he is. And making him something other than that, man, it, it, it ruins, it waters it down. It takes away from who he truly is. And Paul, in his wisdom, he knew who he was talking to, right? He kind of had this, he knew the congregation. He knew this letter was not going to be read just to the elders and the pastors of the church. This letter was going to be read to the entire congregation. So he hammers that point home. Don't live like you once lived. Because of your new identity, because of your relationship in Christ, and because Christ, all that old stuff needs to be put away. All that concept of who we once were, the way we once lived, the things we once thought were funny, and the things that we once found entertainment in need to change because of our identity in Christ. It has to slowly change. It doesn't happen in an instant, but it begins to change. You could say it this way, that our Christ-likeness, right? This, here's it. The Christ-Christian walk, right, is a journey towards Christ-likeness. We want to hammer that home that the Christian walk, our walk in Christ as Christians, is working towards Christ-likeness. We want to be more like him. And Paul's hammering that home that in doing that, things need to change. Things need to change, right? We have our identity. Now we got to live that identity out. Stop doing those things. Put them away. You can't live like that because that's not how you were taught Christ. You weren't taught Christ to have him and then do whatever you want. You weren't taught to have Christ and live the same way with no change of heart, with no change of mind. You were not taught that. Although sometimes you could be because of people coming into the church and preaching false gospel and preaching false doctrine, right? We have to be careful when we listen to those things that we keep, we keep our eyes focused on the word of God. And what are they saying? Are they really preaching the true gospel? Are they preaching Christ crucified or are they just preaching, hey, Jesus loves you, wants to be your friend, man, do whatever you want, give us your money. Got to question those things. 
And Paul hammers it home, and he, he knows who he's talking to. And remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Andrew said, anytime you see a little slash, it's Paul going off on a little bit of a little bit of side thought. And he says, assuming that you have, sorry, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as is the truth in Jesus. Assuming that you've heard Christ. I mean, here's the thing. This is why we hammer um, membership so hard. We hammer this. This is why. Growing up, I grew up in a church that was all membership. Like that was like, man, it was conversion and membership were one and the same. It's weird. I grew up that way. Okay, I can't can't take that back. That's just how we grew up. When I left to go off to college, I promised myself I would never go to a church that wanted membership again. I wanted to go to a church that was just easy going. Man, take my money, let me attend, we're good, right? Like, that was easier for me. And what I found was, man, there was this, he's a buddy of mine, I love him to death, and, and he has a great relationship with Christ right now, but for the longest time, two straight years, this guy led small groups, he taught in our classrooms in the back, right? He led in church, he prayed out loud in congregations like this, and it was like two and a half years into that relationship with this guy. We're at a guy's like retreat thing. And it was powerful. And he raised his hand in the middle of it, interrupted everything, stood up and said, man, I, I, I'm not a Christian. I've never given my life to the Lord. I've just been playing for two straight years. My wife wanted me to come to church and I just kind of did it. When we don't have membership, when we, you know, here's the big thing with membership. This is the first thing we want to know. Tell us about your conversion experience, man. How'd you come to know Christ? That is so important to us that you have a relationship with Christ. And what we want to do is help you live that out. Right? Like when we protect our kids in the back, when we protect this right here, man, I get it. Like membership's tough. It, it's a tough thing. It's this like line. We're like, eh, I don't really know. When we don't know who you are in Christ, Paul's saying, assuming that you've heard about him. Assuming that you've heard about Christ and the real Christ, not just the made up one. The next thing we're going to see is the Christ-likeness, that when we're pursuing Christ-likeness requires the putting off and the putting on. Using that, again, that bike analogy, right? We have to put off and we need to put on. Paul's going to make it very, very practical for us here, very real in the next couple verses. In verse uh, 22, it says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt, through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on a new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, to put off and to put on. This idea of pursuing Christ's likeness, we call it sanctification. Right? We want to be sanctified. We want to pursue Christ's likeness. We want to always be moving towards that. Positionally, we are saved, man. We are justified. We are adopted. We are in. And because of that, now we want to pursue Christ's likeness. And, and if you take sanctification, you can break it down into two basic words. Putting off, putting on. Putting off, putting on. <laughs> Bible school words, if you will, that we use there are mortification. I love that word, mortification. Putting to death our old self. Putting to death the people that we once were, the way we once acted, the things we once thought were humorous. Putting to death those things, right? Put mortification, putting off. And then Paul says put on, and I love this word, man. It's great. Vivification, the idea of pursuing holiness, we're putting off, now we're putting on a renewed mind in, in our relationship, in our identity in Christ, this new mind that we have in pursue Christ, the likeness of him in our lives every day. Paul makes it so real. When we don't do those things, things can go super wrong. 
Paul hammers it home over and over and over again. This is your identity in Christ. Now it's time to live that identity out. In the next couple verses, what you're going to see is Paul makes it very practical. Keep that in your mind's eye, the putting off, the putting on. Listen to what Paul says in 25, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The idea, right now, you can take this for the surface. Don't lie. Done. Move to the next verse. Right? Just stop lying. When you dig into what Paul's saying, when we're putting away falsehood and we're starting to speak truth, it's a heart change. Right? We make it not about us, but about God. We change that. Our relationship in Christ with him now changes the way we speak to one another. Man, hey, just be real. Right? Stop lying to each other. Stop being fake. We are all real people here. You know, showing up and be like, yeah, everything's great, man. I got a, you know, great wife, great house. Meanwhile, like here where everything's fine and dandy in the background, our house is burning down, right? Our wife doesn't want to talk to us. Our kids hate us. Well, how are we supposed to pray for you and be coming alongside you if we don't know? Put away those falsehoods. Be real with each other. Be a church. Be in community. So that we know, so we can pray, so we can come alongside you. Put away those falsehoods and put on the truth. Start speaking truth one to another. It's a heart change. This next one, this next one's funny, man. If you're, uh, if you're, if you're a guy and you have kids, this is going to be special. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So <laughs> be angry and don't sin. Yeah, um, we have kids. So uh, I have three boys. I don't know what to tell you, uh, Paul. Like, like, that's the reality of it. Like, it's a heart change. It's a heart change, what he's saying. Because here's the thing. There's a righteous kind of anger. There is a righteous kind of anger. There's a godly anger. God gets angry. Read the Old Testament, man. He gets angry with Israel a lot. Why? He, when he gets angry, he gets angry because his name is desecrated. Because they ignore him. Right? He leads the Israelites out of captivity. Miracle after miracle after miracle. What do they do? Make an idol to a different God. Right? He's going to get angry. He's going to get angry when we sit here and we don't follow him, when we say we're Christians, but everything we do and live does not honor and glorify him. Right? It's a righteous type of anger. Our anger is not quite like that. Our anger, most of the time, comes from a self-righteous kind of standpoint, like a wounded pride type thing. Somebody cuts us off, right, when we're driving, and we think it's best to speed up, chase them down, run them off the road, and preach Christ to them, right? Like, <laughs> amen, brother. Don't, you know, like, we get angry for the craziest things. And it always makes you laugh, like, uh, when they're younger guys, they're like, I'm pretty cool, I'm pretty calm, I'm pretty collective, you know, just, I'm even Steven. Yeah, have kids. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Have kids, we're going to sit back and laugh, right? Everyone knows that, right? There is the, the kind of anger, and, and in your anger, do not sin. It's a heart change, right? And, and, and this one, man, this is tough for a lot of guys. Let's be honest with ourselves, right? Like being angry is, you go, you go try to find your 10-millimeter socket, boys, anybody, and you can't find it, but your son took it because he was working on his bike, super angry, right? You get angry at that stuff. And so, but in that, understanding that you're going to get angry, Paul's super wise, you're going to get angry. But in that anger, man, have control over your emotions. Don't let it go overboard and sin when you do. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with, with his own hands so that he may have something to share 
with anyone in need. It's a heart change. Like if we're honest with ourselves in here, then we might not have too much of a problem with people stealing. And if you just read that again for the service and just said, hey, don't steal. Okay, got it. No problem. Dig into it. What is it really saying? There is a heart change. It is the putting off, stop stealing. In putting on, earn an honest wage. Why? So as a community, if we need to come alongside somebody, you have something to give. We're family. That needs to happen. It's a heart change. When we make it about ourselves, we get jobs. We make an honest wage. We keep it to ourselves. What we're realizing, what Paul's saying here is, our stuff isn't ours. I mean, it's fun to have nice stuff, but it's not ours. It's his. And when we make it about him, sometimes when you see people in need, you can help them. And it doesn't always, doesn't always mean money. It doesn't always mean stuff. Sometimes you have gifts. Sometimes you're a good plumber and you can help a lady who has water problems in her house, right? Or you can go shovel somebody's driveway. It doesn't always come down to the money aspect of it, man. It comes down to earning an honest wage. So if you see somebody in need, you have something to give to help. It's a heart change. Not about us. It's about God. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for the building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Man, our mouths can be vile. They can be wicked. We don't realize the things that we say sometimes and how much damage they can do. Like our tongues, the things that we say, man, they can build people up to a whole new level. We can make them feel welcome. We can make them feel loved, but it takes a second to make them feel like they're nobodies. What we say is so important. It's so important. Man, James just hammers the idea of what our tongues can do. James chapter 3 says this. Verse 2 we'll start with. But For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. But if we put the bits in the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ship also. Though they are so large and driven by a mighty strong wind, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same, from the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not be so. The, the, our words are so powerful, so powerful. The tongue is such a mighty thing. And yet we just choose to just brush it over, say whatever, goof around. It's fine, it's funny, right? It's inappropriate, big deal. Not a big deal, right? Our, our words are so important. Laura and I, we were prepping for our life group this week, and it was talking about... Um, there's a part where it says the way Paul said something in, in the first part of uh, chapter 4. And Laura said that she was listening to somebody. Now, I'm not going to quote it because I'm not good at that. I'm just going to say it my way. But this is, how, this is what basic premise was. That our God, mighty and powerful God of all things, a God who when he said, when asked who he was, he said, I just am. 
He wasn't created. He was and is. He could have formed the earth and us any way he wanted to. He could have snapped his finger. He could have clicked his heels. He could have winked an eye to, to form us in this world. He chose to speak the world into existence. If we're created in the likeness of God, our words can be so powerful. All the people around us, our coworkers, our family, our neighbors, man, they need to not only see Jesus but hear it out of our mouths. That's who we need to be. It's this identity of who we are, and because of that identity, it is now lived out in every aspect of the way we live, the way we act, the way we talk. It needs to begin to change. And I'll be honest, like this one's tough because I love funny things. I do. It's funny. It's hard not to. <laughs> Pastor Brent and I, man, we love quoting movies. And we can still do that. The misconception is, is that we're just going to, you know, speak in the King James when we talk now because we want to be more holy. <laughs> right? That's not it, man. We can still have fun. You can still goof around. You can still be silly. But, man, that corrupt vileness, that disgusting stuff needs to stop. Paul continues in, uh, in Ephesians with verse 13. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The idea that, man, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Because of our identity, we have that spirit. And understanding that sometimes that spirit's going to talk to us. It's going it's to tell us that we need to start maybe going on missions more, that maybe we need to get involved more, that we need to change our lives. And when we grieve that Holy Spirit, we're ignoring the very voice of God. That Holy Spirit will never go against the word of God. So we need to understand that. Like if you're being called to do something crazy, check it in the word of God. Check it with some friends, make sure. But here's the thing. You know, when the Holy Spirit's saying, man, I just feel like I need to help that person, stop and help that person. When the Holy Spirit's telling you, man, get more involved in your community so that Christ can be seen in your community. Don't just not do it. Don't grieve it. Do it. It's the very word of God telling you, go out and do things. Paul begins to finish up here, and he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from, along, or put away from among you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Understanding this, here's the, here's the reality. We're not perfect. I'm standing up here, I'm telling you, uh, you I told you what my prayer was this morning. <laughs> my word is not yours. Like, I'm not perfect. Like, like, I mess up. We're going to make mistakes. Being kind and tenderhearted, it's a heart change. Understanding that, hey, we're going to make mistakes. Everyone's going to make mistakes. And to hammer somebody for making those mistakes, Paul's saying, no, that's not it. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, man, in love, because Christ loved you. And because Christ loved you, now love others. Be kind, be tenderhearted. He hammers home this idea of putting off and putting on. Stop speaking false and speak truth. In your anger, do not sin. Heart change. Why? Because it's not about us, it's about God. When it comes to stealing, right? When it comes to this, like, immoral things, put that away. Be honest. Help out in your community that we have in church and around you in your other communities. Be part of that, right? With our words, the things that we say, understanding that our words aren't for us, they're for God, they're to glorify God in all things. 
We need to believe that, man. When we hear things now, when we hear people speak, like, here, I, I say this all the time. I think I said the last time. I love a good movie. And half of my movies that I've liked to watch are now off the shelf. I don't watch them anymore. Why? Because they use the Lord's name in vain constantly, and it drives me insane. Like, it's nails on a chalkboard. Why do you do that? You didn't have to add that to the movie. You could have just made it funny without that word. But yet they add it. Man, those words, the things we hear, that should be like, when we hear that, man, that is our God. When they say that in that way, man, we should be offended by that. Right? And so when it comes to those movies, when it comes to those things that we used to say, the way we used to talk, the way we used to think, we need to put that off. Put to death those things. And start renewing our mind in, who, in, in our lives in Christ. Believing that he is who he is and now our identity has changed forever and we're to live that identity out. Every day. And this is why Paul's hammering this home so hard. He knows that if they don't hold so close to those foundational truths of who Christ is and our relationship in Christ, and they don't hold fast to those living that out, that it becomes watered down. And people start to slip away. The kids don't see that truth. Our neighbors don't see that truth. And so Christ is not being glorified in our lives, and people aren't seeing Christ in us and through us. And so the church ends up dying because we're not living that out. And that's exactly what happens to the Ephesian church. If you remember, year, like last year, Pastor Andrew preached through the book of Revelation, like the first part of it. Chapter 2, man, talking about the church in Ephesus, it's gone. It's completely gone. There's nothing there. Nobody sees Christ because the church is gone. It's a sad moment. We never want to let that happen. We want to hold strong to those foundational truths of who Christ is. We hammer home doctrine. We hammer home that you know proper theology. Why? So that your kids will see it, so that your neighbors will see it, so that the people around you will see it, so that it doesn't die. Because we so badly, so badly, that is our goal always as Christians. It just should be. That's our life, is to live like Christ so others will see it. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be like a secondary thought where we're like, hey, um, you know, maybe I should probably change the way I talk. No, we should start changing it. That should radiate from us. This morning, our prayer is this, that Christ is always preached, that we always focus on those foundational truths of who Christ is. May we never be a church that ignores that. May we never be a people who water it down for the sake of sounding cool. May we be a people who will preach the truth no matter what so that we will radiate Christ. Man, let's pray. God, you, you are so good. And we, and we stand and we sit here, Lord, right now, humbled at the things that you've done for us. That you would send your son down to live as we did and to die on a cross for things he was not supposed to die for, Lord, but to die for our sins. He was no, had no sin in him. He died for our sins. He was raised three days later, and you did that for us so that we could have a relationship with you. And God, we never want to hide that. May we be a church, may we be a people outside of these walls that always know our identity in you and live that identity out. It's in Jesus' name we pray.